This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong, and I have the pleasure of being here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson with Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, covered in yellow of everywhere. Course, yes. Of course. <laughs> Can't wait to get a car wash. Sam, how are you? I'm good. I'm also covered in yellow. I'm really hitting that flanace hard these days. You know, we've, we've, got, we've got a theme going on here. And, and speaking of themes, a, a popular theme that we talk about on uh, Aging Matters usually has to do with planning and Um, Because of that, we often have discussions of advanced directives and important legal documents that we should have. And to further that discussion, we're pleased to welcome Annette Rhodes. She's an attorney with Rhodes Law Firm in Wake Forest. Annette, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you and your audience. So I bet you guys didn't know that there's a holiday coming up, April 16th. National Healthcare Decisions Day. I'm, My, I'm waiting for the awesome. Google Doodle on that one. Yes. Uh, so I think this is a perfect topic going into National Healthcare Decisions Day for us to talk about. And I think it's even been more critical during COVID, where sadly many people have faced uh, tough decisions very quickly. Um, so we often hear advanced directives like, oh, is that a DNR? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, is that what that means? But there's a lot of confusion out there about what is an advanced directive. So I think we should probably start there. Um, do both living will and durable power of attorney for healthcare fall under advanced directives? And can you talk to us a little bit about the differences? Sure, that's a great question, and I do know that there's a lot of confusion there, so let's just kind of separate those out. When we're talking about a durable power of attorney, we're really talking about financial decisions that someone else can make for you um, when you are unable to make your own financial decisions. That's a durable power of attorney, and that's really a separate document from healthcare decisions. So the healthcare decisions, there are basically three kinds of documents that you want to consider. One is advanced directives, and that's telling people in writing, this is what I want and do not want with regard to my healthcare. And that's a really simple way of looking at it. Most particularly, most people's advanced directives have to do with end-of-life care. Do I want mechanical ventilation under certain conditions? Do I want artificial nutrition, artificial hydration? What kind of treatment do I want or not want when I have certain conditions and I can't make my own decisions? You know, I cannot communicate what I would want. So I'm going to make an advanced directive, which is directing someone to do something or not do something under certain conditions. And um, that's what an advanced directive is. So the two types of advanced directives are your health care and then your mental health care. So mental health care directives are pretty specific. They talk about, you know, if I have to be institutionalized because I've had a um, psychotic episode, this is what I, this is how I need to be treated. This is what I want. These are the kinds of facilities I want to be in. You know, here are my medications. Don't use these medications. They don't, you know, um, 
they don't help me, they hurt me, that kind of thing. So um, we spend an awful lot of time with people who want to have uh, a mental health care directive really honing in on that. For advanced directives for general health treatment, um, you've got several options with advanced directives. I think everyone should know that under a statute in North Carolina that's been in place for hmm, about 50 years, Wow. If you do not have, in since the 70s, if you don't have an advanced directive, the North Carolina law, and probably every state in the union has something like this, and North Carolina law says if you will die within a relatively short period of time or you are permanently unconscious, then life prolonging decisions can be made on your behalf. And so life-prolonging decisions could also be considered life-sustaining provisions, depending on how you look at that. And those decisions are what we kind of mentioned before, which is withdrawing certain types of care, not having certain kind of surgery, you know, artificial nutrition, hydration, those kinds of things can be withheld. Mm -hmm. The problem that I see with the statutory provisions um, is that one, you don't get to pick the person who makes those decisions for you. Your family, perhaps, makes those decisions. Mm -hmm. And the law even allows someone who um, has your best interests at heart and seems to know what you want, they can make those decisions. That could be a neighbor or someone like that, mm -hmm. right? Um, but their doctors are going to want to have your family making those decisions. So um, the problem that I really have with this statute is, if all three of you said, what is a relatively short period of time? Mm -hmm. One of you might say a few days, mm -hmm. one of you might say a few hours, and one of you might say a few weeks. So that's really kind of up in the air. And I think that you as an individual have a right to decide what is a relatively short period of time. What does that look like for you? If you know that you're going to die within a relatively short period of time, what do you want? What do you not want? And what is a relatively short period of time for you? Um, the other thing is permanently unconscious. Uh, there really isn't uh, any um, um, agreement on what that means, not just in the law, but in the medical profession. People have different uh, ways of looking at what is unconscious. And so you could be very severely disabled, but able to hear and see. I actually have a friend who at 35 had a severe brainstem stroke, best way to mm. describe that. And she could hear, she could hear and see everything, but she could not voluntarily move. Wow. And her husband was considering taking her, you know, not giving her any treatment and letting her die. That's what was recommended to her. And she said, as a severely disabled person, I really wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And eventually she was able to blink her eyes and communicate with him. And he mm -hmm. began to understand that she was voluntarily blinking her eyes. And slowly, um, almost all of her functions came back. That's an interesting so, point. I, I want to touch on mm -hmm. something you've brought up briefly here, but does putting these in place give up your right to make your own decisions? Oh, absolutely not. All of any of these documents, healthcare power of attorney, any any of the advanced directives, as long as you are able to communicate your own decisions and you're within your you know right mind, we, we wouldn't want someone in a psychotic episode to be making decisions. Mm -hmm. um, 
you make your own decisions and you can write out what you want and explain, you know, in that circumstances, you know, I know I have terminal cancer if I have, and I'm going to have this surgery, but if I have a heart attack, you know, during the surgery, don't revive me. You could make those kinds of decisions for yourself. Yeah, the documents are so important to work on. And I know for us in our line of work, transitions, we're always kind of preaching to people, you need to set these up and have them set up for your families. So when should you start working on advanced directives? When is a good time? You know, we often don't want people to wait for a crisis. Right, right. Right, right. I, You know, um, when you're 18, because this brings up a good point, when you're 18 in North Carolina, you're an adult, and guess what? Mm-hmm. Your parents no longer have parental rights to make health care decisions for you. Um, they may have some rights under the statute we just talked about, um, but those are very limited, and they don't have the right to you know, make healthcare decisions for you simply because you're unconscious uh, and you're not, you know, permanently unconscious and you're not going to die in a relatively short period of time. So for your parents' sake, um, at 18, you should at least have a healthcare power of attorney. That gives someone the right to make certain medical decisions for you, and you can make that very broad, their powers very broad, or you can make their powers very limited. That's up to you. Uh, and then that healthcare agent, when you can't make or communicate your own healthcare decisions, they make decisions for you. So when you're 18 is when you should start this. Um, advanced directives are maybe a little harder for people to think about because it's hard for people to think about um, death. And you probably know that mm-hmm. pretty well yes. in, in your line of work. It's very hard for people to think about it. They don't want to think about it. Um, but I think it's a good thing to get comfortable with thinking about what you want and don't want. Mm-hmm. And these documents are not kind of one and done. So I would say at 18, you should make some decisions with an advanced directive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you should at least have a healthcare agent who can make good decisions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you get older, and I found this in my life, I'm in my 60s now, when I was younger, I felt a certain way about things. And now that I'm older, I think, you know, I've lived a good long life. I'm maybe not wanting to hold on to life so much mm-hmm. if I'm unconscious or have substantial cognitive um, impairments. If I had Alzheimer's, you know, that's something I think a lot of people want to think about, and they should think about that. If I have um, end-stage Alzheimer's, if I have middle-stage Alzheimer's, the treatment that you want during those phases is probably different than if you've just been diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So think it through and make a good decision. What I particularly, I, I advise my clients this all the time, your healthcare agent is a fiduciary, and they have a responsibility to do what's in your best interest, knowing what you would want, having, you know, knowing you and having talked to you about this, they are to make a good decision. So with every advanced directive, I advise clients, if you have someone you really trust to make your healthcare decisions, give them the power to override your advanced directive. Mm. Um, because Otherwise, that advanced directive is going to be what can at least be enforced in a court of law as to your wishes. And there are various players who may have an interest in that, like your health insurance company who may not want to pay for your end-of-life mm-hmm. care. 
But if your healthcare agent can override those advanced directives, I think that's a good idea as long as you can trust that agent to make a good decision because we don't know as lay people what medical can what medical providers can do right. under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. We don't know how this might turn out. We might want to give it if you're permanently unconscious, we might want to give you three months to see if you really are permanently unconscious because mm-hmm. the doctors are giving their opinion as to what is whether it's permanent or not. And so if you've got a healthcare agent who can make decisions for you and take that advanced directive and say, I know this is what they want, but in this circumstance, I think, which was not anticipated, I think that we might want to wait a little bit longer before we withdraw life-sustaining care. Yeah, it's a a tough decision, but having that trusted agent is so key. We're speaking with Annette Rhodes, attorney with Rhodes Law Firm in Wake Forest, and we will be right back after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, our guests today is Annette Rhodes. She is with uh, an attorney with Rhodes Law Firm in Wake Forest, and we're having a discussion all about advanced directives and planning when it comes to our health when we can't make those decisions for ourselves. And uh, Mary, you know, it's uh, it can be kind of overwhelming at times, and it can be a discussion that uh, is, is maybe not the first discussion we want to have with our loved ones, but these are these are very important discussions to have. And Oftentimes, for family members, it's a bit of a relief to know what your loved ones want and when they are in an end-of-life situation. Absolutely. And I think Sam and I, we, we talked about this mm-hmm. not too long ago, about having too many cooks in the kitchen. Yes, <laughs> definitely. So, Annette, we were just talking um, about appointing health care powers of attorney, appointing people for advanced directives, and that sometimes you can even give them the power to override what you've written out on your advanced directives. So I wanted to talk a little bit, I've had an experience, you know, in the field I work in working with hospice where I've come across family situations where there's more than one healthcare power of attorney. Um, I had one instance where there were three and we had two that were on board with moving forward with hospice and one that wasn't. And it became a real issue for us because we were kind of stuck. We couldn't move forward because unless Mm -hmm. all parties agreed, we weren't able to do anything. So that kind of brings the question to me, is it, is there such a thing as having too many cooks in the kitchen on your healthcare power of attorneys? Is it better to appoint one or appoint multiple? Well, I'll tell you what I tell my clients. I say pick one mm-hmm. and have, and pick successors. So if you have three children, pick the one who you think would do the best job, who'd be able to think, 
logically and without a whole lot of emotion Mm -hmm. about what you want in the situation. Very often people pick someone who's got some medical background, someone who's made decisions for others. So that's what you want to do. Are they able to follow my instructions? Are they going to do what I'd like them to do? Pick one and then pick the next and then pick the next and have them as successor agents, Mm -hmm. not all together because, um, you know, as a lawyer, you really do see when you've got people with equal power, you're going to have a conflict at some point. And if you have that situation, you at least have to know how to break that tie. Mm-hmm. Or in the situation that you were talking about where you had three, and was did they all have to under, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. that you were either... Um, this was either a situation where it was statutory and these were three children with mm-hmm. equal you know, right to say what happened to mom or dad, uh, or they simply picked three agents under their health care power, mm-hmm. but they didn't say in that health care power, how are you going to break the tie? If we don't yes. have um, perfect agreement, how are we going to go forward and make a decision? You really don't want to put your kids through that where they're angry at each other. Um, and that's, You know, that can happen, but I encourage people to pick one and then tell them, don't just, don't run amok and just make decisions without talking to your siblings. Talk, but you have to make the decision. And I've seen that play out in families in which, you know, one, three daughters and the father was in very bad health. Uh, unable to make his own healthcare decisions in the hospital, things were going downhill. One daughter was ready now, take him off life support. Mm-hmm. One daughter was no way, take him off life support. And the middle daughter who had the power said, we'll wait a few more days. Mm-hmm. They wait a few more days. The eldest who wanted to take him off life support was not very happy, but understood the decision was for the younger daughter who was not ready to let go of daddy right. for herself. And after a day or two, she began to say, I understand. And that's when the middle daughter who had that power made the decision. And it was hard. It's, there was nothing easy about this. I know you guys know this. Yeah. There's nothing easy about taking someone off life support. But when you know that this is what they wanted to do because they've got that in their advance directive and they've given one person that authority, that person can figure out when is the time for them and the family to make that decision. Absolutely. It makes making some of those really hard decisions a little bit easier when you know you're doing something um, for your loved one that they wanted. Mm-hmm. So I want to they wanted correct. Go back a little bit and talk about. You had mentioned, you know, as soon as you turn 18, taking a look at your advanced healthcare directives, but that maybe to take a look <laughs> at it again when, as you age or as things change. So, does that mean that you sure. can change your mind about your advanced care directives at any time? Can you cancel what you've put in place? Absolutely. Any kind of, these are estate planning documents, so wills, trusts, powers of attorney, including health care powers of attorney and advanced directives, are all changeable as long as you're uh, competent and you know what you're doing. So you don't have to be a nuclear scientist to you know, know what you're doing, and you don't have to be an attorney to know what you're doing, but you know uh, in estate planning generally, you know who is in your family. Uh, and you know basically what you own. And so that's just sort of the financial planning. So for health care, do you understand kind of basic health care? Do you understand that when I say life-prolonging measures, what that means, you know, that, you know, um, 
those provisions could be withheld. Do you understand what that means? As long as someone understands that, then they can make an advance directive or a health care power of attorney. You mentioned family at a lot. any time and change at any time you want. <laughs> You've mentioned family a lot in this, but the more I'm listening to you talk and you know, I'm thinking about my own situations and my own family. I feel like maybe sometimes there could be friends or mm-hmm. neighbors or, um, you know, other people that could become the health care power of attorney for people. Does that make sense in some cases where maybe it's too emotion- emotional of a decision for um, a sibling or a daughter uh, to make that decision? How often do people put someone else that is not family in charge of their advanced directives? I, I would say it's a maybe 10%. Of okay. people, mm-hmm. most people have family who can make the decision, and those are the people they want to make the decision. But mm-hmm. I do have a good friend of mine who uh, she's in another state, so I couldn't do her uh, power of attorneys for her. But she uh, was very pro-life, and her family was not, and mm-hmm. so she wanted to make sure that she had a friend and a couple friends uh, who could step in and make those decisions for her, who's whose, um, you know, thoughts about life were more mm-hmm. in line with hers. You mentioned across state lines just briefly there. Are they valid across state lines, or do you have to set them in place where you live? North Carolina will honor any validly um, created and they have to be signed, you know, very often notarized. Some states require witness. So if a document outside of North Carolina was uh, valid under the law of that state, North Carolina will honor it. Good to know. Good to know. So how often should you be reviewing your documents? You know, we've talked about how you can change your mind at any time. Uh, when's a good time for you to kind of set aside and review and make sure they're as up to date as you want them to be? So I always recommend to clients that they look at them every three to five years. Um, part of that is just to refresh your memory as to what you have. You know, look at your will, your trust, your powers of attorney, your advanced directive, and make sure that they are still what you want and that you mm-hmm. understand what they are. And make sure you can put your hands on them, too. That's always yes. a good thing. <laughs> uh, because if you can't put your hands on them, it's unlikely that someone else is going to be able to put their hands on them. <laughs> so I'd say every three to five years. But then also I find that a lot of clients, when they're sick, when they have a diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, that they also pull them out then and look at them because they're still competent. They can make some changes then, and that's fine, too. I mean, uh, anytime your family changes, but at least every three to five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to mention this. Um, North Carolina Secretary of State has a great registry. You can register your health care power of attorney in any advanced directives that you have with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the healthcare power of attorneys, at least the ones that we do, it has the phone number and the address and all contact information for your healthcare agent and their successors. That document is on a registry. The Secretary of State will send you two wallet cards with a special number on it that's not your Social Security number. You carry that in your wallet. If you're in a car accident, if something happens to you at the mall and you're rushed off and you're unable to make healthcare decisions, 
emergency personnel will look in that wallet for that card. They're going to look to who do we contact, who do we contact. They find that card. They can go on the registry 24-7. They have that information. They know your health care wishes, and they can contact the person that you want your healthcare agent, the person you want to make your healthcare decision. So I recommend that to all my clients. The cost with Secretary of State is $10 to file to mm-hmm. file that. And you get the original. You just send them a copy, and now it's online if you want. And it's not accessible to the public. It's accessible to emergency personnel. And you can then, or healthcare personnel, and uh, you've got a great way of, you know, making sure that the people you want to make healthcare decisions for you are contacted right away. Yeah, it's a very easy process. The Secretary of State makes that uh, wonderfully easy for us. SOSNC.gov is the website to find more information about those advanced directives. And Annette, if folks want to get a hold of you, is roadslaw.net the best place for folks to go? That's a great place to go. And our number is 919-435-3646. 919-435-3646. 3646 or online at roadslaw.net to get a hold of Annette Rhodes, attorney with Rhodes Law Firm in Wake Forest. Annette, we really appreciate your time today. This was a wonderful discussion and very informative as well. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Stick around. This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk this is aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with mary lucas and jason kong if you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, don't forget you can always find more information about Transitions Life Care and their resources online at transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. Org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and we are shifting gears here with a new topic, Sam. We're going to be discussing food insecurity, and this is something that uh, may not be the first thing on people's minds, but it's uh, it's very, something that we should all very much be aware of. Mm-hmm, definitely, and this actually could not come at more perfect timing to have Mike on with us. Um, I actually was talking with one of our social workers yesterday at Transitions who was actually looking for some food resources for our patients, um, so great timing to have you on. Yeah, and uh, I did a poor job of introducing our guests, and that is Michael Berger. He's the board chair at the Tri-Area Ministry Food Pantry. Mike, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. We're so glad to have you on, Mike, to talk about this really important topic. So first of all, can you just start off with what is the Tri-Area Ministry Food Pantry? So we are um, a local food pantry. So we are a resource for folks who are food insecure uh, and may be in need of some groceries. Uh, We're located in downtown Lake Forest. Um, If you're familiar with that uh, general vicinity, we're uh, diagonally across the street from the post office uh, right there downtown. Um, Our hours of operation are Mondays and Wednesdays and the second and third Saturdays from 10 to 1. 
and um, in uh, observance of the restrictions around COVID, we're operating as a drive-through. So uh, folks that are interested in receiving food simply drive uh, up to our building and through the driveway, um, and then our volunteers will load food into the cars. So uh, we're doing our best to um, limit direct contact, um, and that's, we've mm-hmm. actually uh, it's been so successful. We're going to keep doing it even after the COVID awesome. restrictions uh, have uh, have been done. So uh, it it works out real real efficiently. Definitely. Uh, so who qualifies and how do you qualify? We know that during COVID, it's been really hard for a lot of folks to make ends meet. So how, who qualifies and how do you qualify? Uh, so it, it's really pretty simple for us. Uh, if you are in need of food, we can provide food. So we don't have any um, residency restrictions. We don't require a referral Uh, We don't do an income verification or anything like that. Um, We sort of adopt the perspective that uh, if you decide that you were in need of food, uh, we're happy to be able to serve you. And it's a privilege to have the supply to be able to do it. Amazing. So you don't need any forms or proof of residency or anything to to come to the Tri-Area Ministry Food Pantry? That's right. So we're going to ask you for some information. We're going to ask you for your name and address. Um, and the number of people that are in your household. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we do that actually because um, the food that we distribute comes in part uh, from the food bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina, um, as well as the Interfaith Food Shuttle. So we think of those organizations as sort of like our wholesale suppliers. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are allocated a certain amount of food based upon the number of families that we support. So we gather that information, it's voluntary, uh, if you decide for whatever reason you don't want to provide that information, that's okay too. Um, but it does help us to ensure that we've got um, a supply. But we don't ask for proof. We don't ask for an ID. Um, it's just a couple of questions. We jot down the information and then you're set. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Do you have to live in a certain area to be able to receive food from your organization? Nope. Um, the only requirement is that uh, you come and see us. Um, and so, and what, and what that results in is that we see families typically from about a 25 or 30 mile radius around Wake Forest. Um, but you, you, you can come from anywhere. There isn't any restriction. Again, if, if you're hungry, we can help. Awesome. Good to know. Can you talk a little bit about what's in a typical uh, delivery of the food? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in addition, well, to start out with, of course, it's the things that you would typically typically think of from a food pantry, so non-perishables, cans of vegetables and beans and soup and those sorts of things, um, rice, beans, uh, cereal, um, etc. We supplement that with fresh food. So we've got fruit and vegetables. Uh, we've got milk, uh, eggs, butter, meat, and bread. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty well-rounded um, distribution. Now, families are able to come and see us only once per calendar month. Mm-hmm. Um, we're distributing at this point uh, just under 100 pounds of food. Wow. So it's, uh, it's a sizable amount. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a couple shopping bags full. That's great. Yeah, like you mentioned, that is really well-rounded. Uh, so how often is food delivered? We um, have worked out a relationship with um, 
St. Catherine's Catholic Church uh, up there in Wake mm-hmm. Forest, um, who offers a food ministry uh, for shut-ins, for folks that aren't able to come uh, to the pantry for whatever reason. Um, it turns out that most, if not all, that are served by that ministry um, are seniors that are homebound. Um, and so when we learn of an individual um, who can't make it to the pantry, uh, we have the opportunity to connect that individual with um, the the St. Catherine's Church, and then they will work them into the um, the deliveries. And they typically do those deliveries um, on the third Saturday of the month. Awesome. That's great um, to know. I, we should also mention that it isn't really necessary for a person to personally come to the pantry. So if you have a friend, a neighbor, a relative, um, it's okay for them to come to the pantry on your behalf to pick up food for you. So, you know, because there's, you know, we're not asking for proof. We're not asking for an ID. Mm -hmm. You can come and pick up food for one of your neighbors. And we do have quite a number, um, that do come to the pantry that pick up food not only for themselves but for others that live around them. Um, and that way, you know, it saves all the way around. You don't have to have multiple cars making multiple trips. Mm-hmm. So in addition to that delivery service, um, which is something we actually partner to provide, it also, uh, you know, lots of times friends and family and neighbors will pitch in and, and make pickups on behalf of others. That's great. That's awesome that those options exist for our folks who are more homebound. Uh, so how does someone go on to sign up to get these uh, food deliveries or pick up food? So there's really uh, the best way to do it um, is actually to send an email um, to info at triareaministry.com. And what uh, we will do then is take a look at that and then make the connection between that inquiry uh, and the folks at St. Catherine's. Um, it should be mentioned that, of course, it's a Catholic church, but mm-hmm. it's not necessary for you to be a member of the church or even to be Catholic. Um, it is a community service that they're providing. Um, so it, it's open to all comers. That's wonderful. You know, some of our mis- listeners might be interested in donating or volunteering. Do you all have opportunities to be more involved in your organization, either in food delivery, food Mm -hmm. organizing, um, working in the community? What are some of the opportunities that you have for volunteering or donating? Uh, There's a wonderful array of different opportunities. Uh, I should mention that we're a 100% volunteer organization. Uh, So no one is an employee. No one gets paid. So everyone from the operations manager uh, down to every single volunteer, uh, everyone is a volunteer. Um, And so different things can happen if you're interested in donating. Uh, One way to do that is to pick up a few extra things at the supermarket during your regular shopping and then drop them off. Uh, We accept donations, of course, during our open hours, which are Mondays, Wednesdays, and the second and third Saturday between 10 and 1. Um, But also we have an after-hours drop-off bin so that if you're not in the neighborhood during those hours, you can drop by really any time. We want, of course, to use the the drop-off bin for non-perishables. We don't want to have somebody toss a dozen eggs in there because it's not refrigerated, obviously. In addition, there are a number of uh, community drop-off locations. So in the Lowe's Foods, for example, um, and Christian Brothers Automotive, and there's there's about a dozen different organizations. 
locations throughout the community where they are accepting donations um, on our behalf. In addition, you could use our website, uh, which is triareaministry.com, and there's an opportunity to make a cash donation uh, through the website using your credit card, and we will use that money to purchase food. So just in case we run out of certain food being donated, we have money in the bank that we use to purchase those items so that we don't have to miss a segment of what is being distributed. Um, in terms of volunteering, um, we're always in the need for volunteers. Um, and again, it's mostly during those open hours that the volunteers um, are able to help. Uh, there really isn't any registration or RSVP process. We ask that you come down uh, when or during our open hours. Let us know that you're interested in volunteering and we'll find something for you to do. Um, you don't have to make a long-term commitment. If you could come for two hours, then come for two hours. Um, and we're happy to help um, in all cases. And then lastly, um, we have a, a growing number of communities these days who are putting on food drives. So, in fact, we did one in my neighborhood a few weeks back where the um, Homeowners Association organized a porch pickup food drive. So they advertised that on a certain Saturday, um, put food out that you're interested in donating to Tri-Area on your porch by, you know, by 11 o'clock. And then we drove around the neighborhood and we picked up the food. Um, we came away with, you know, seven or 8,000 pounds of food. Um, and so, you know, if communities are interested in doing that sort of thing, um, we would be, uh, we would graciously accept um, that level of support. Oh, that's that's incredible, Mike. We really appreciate your time, and you guys are doing a wonderful service for the community. The information uh, to find more about the uh, Tri-Area Ministry online, triareaministry.com, triareaministry.com. That email address that Mike gave out earlier, info at triareaministry.com, info at triareaministry.com. Com. He is Mike Berger, board chair of the Tri-Area Ministry Food Pantry. Mike, we really appreciate you taking some time today to speak with us. My pleasure, absolutely, um, and we are blessed to be able to serve. Uh, well, we're, we're blessed to have you in the community as well. We are taking a quick break, but we will be back with more. Stick around. This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic TransitionsLifeCare.org is where you can find more about Transitions Life Care. TransitionsLifeCare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. And we got to do a little bit of housekeeping here. We're going to be spending <laughs> some time talking about the Caregiver Summits. And, uh, you know, if for those who have been listening to this program for some time, know uh, what a valuable resource the Caregiver Summits are. And, Mary, of course, COVID-19 has uh, changed things a bit. Last year, we introduced the 
first uh, virtual caregiver summit. Well, uh, I know we we talked about what was coming up uh, for this year, but let's let's go over those changes again, and uh, maybe maybe we start with what changed last year, and then we'll go into uh, what's on tap for this year. Absolutely. So I know that Sam is also very familiar with this subject. Oh, I am. <laughs> um, we've always really enjoyed doing the Caregiver Summit in person and being mm-hmm. able to meet with caregivers and and our partners and sponsors for the Caregiver Summit and really um, wrap our ra- arms around our caregivers with resources and, and helping them on, on their journey. So it's a bummer, again, to not be able to do this in person because of COVID. Um, so last year we did it through an app on your mm-hmm. phone, which, Sam, I know you, you're very good with the apps. Yes, I love my apps. <laughs> Yeah, it was a great format to offer to folks, um, especially for a further reach. You know, as mm-hmm. you all know, I cover Johnston and Harnett counties in my territory. So an opportunity for folks where they don't have to drive all the way up to Raleigh or Durham or where have you, Chapel Hill. Um, so kind of opens up more access in a way to people. Absolutely. So that took us last year through COVID. And then this year, we're going to do it a little bit differently because I think that there is some benefit to doing these live mm-hmm. and having people have the opportunity to ask questions of our speakers. So this year, we're shifting to a new format through Zoom, which I know everyone's becoming strangely familiar with after <laughs> well, uh, we should all be zoom pros by now yeah i'm tired zoom fatigue has set in but we're gonna <laughs> do it again um so we're gonna be doing these over zoom um and we're excited to offer that also because being able to record them we'll still mm-hmm. have the opportunity to go back and watch recorded uh, webinars after the, they air um but being be able to do it live, we can ask questions as well. Mm -hmm. So you'll be able to um, tune in and ask live questions of our webinar uh, presenters. Mm -hmm. So hopefully this format still gives people the opportunity to attend from across the country as well. So it's not just caregivers here locally. Definitely share it with your friends, families. Um, So like Mary mentioned, it's going to be a little bit of a different format with the Zoom. So there'll be four separate Thursdays in April where caregivers can come in and sign up and join for those sessions. Um, And we've got some topics. The first one coming up is on April 8th on essential legal planning for healthcare, uh, which is a very important topic that we all need to look at and do some long-term planning. Uh, I know it's a lot of things we try to put off sometimes doing, but... Definitely important to take a look at. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people wait too late to put some of these documents into place. And, mm-hmm. and you know, waiting till there's an emergency, we've learned, especially through COVID, mm-hmm. um, has been a challenge. And so I think that it's a great uh, webinar for addressing those things and kind of getting you and your loved ones talking about um, how to plan for the future. Definitely. Um, we've got some other sessions coming up, too. How to pay for long-term care, another hot topic. Understanding Medicaid benefits for nursing home care and what Medicaid managed care means. Uh, And also understanding traditional Medicare versus Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, So some really good topics coming up for folks. Mm -hmm. Um, The webinars are hosted from 2 to 3 p.m. Again, they're on Thursdays. Uh, We'll have the dates on our websites and registrations actually open right now. So you can go to caregiversummit.org to sign up. Mm -hmm. And this is free. I think that's something we forgot to mention, this is 100% free. Um, So don't hesitate to sign up caregiversummit.org. Um, it's free, all free, 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 free. Um, Can't and stress it's a, it enough. Yeah, a great resource. Um, some really good topics every Thursday in April, April 8th, 
15th, 22nd, and 29th from 2 to 3, um, and they'll be recorded. So afterwards, they'll be posted on our website. You can go back and reference them. I'm personally very excited to hear more about Medicaid managed care and mm-hmm. how that's changing. Um, I think there's a lot of changes that are coming up in North Carolina, and I think it's really good to wrap our head around what that looks like um, and um, know the differences and mm-hmm. what's going to be happening and and how it will affect people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've talked a lot on the show as well about paying for long-term care. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. the hot topic. Um, so I think that uh, that session will be great for those who are really thinking about the future. And also in that one, there will be um, some information about veterans benefits, which mm-hmm. we talked about recently um, and is something that is a underutilized resource. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's so many veterans benefits out there that people don't even know exist. Yeah, and and don't know also how to register for yeah. them or um, and, and get that extra money coming in and, and thinking about long-term care. That's something um, that can help address some of those concerns. And I know that for my grandfather, it was a something we didn't understand when he moved into his independent living facility that the veteran benefit could help us pay for that care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been super beneficial for my family, but it took – and huge act for us to get it into place and <laughs> yes. get the paperwork filled out to um, to get it all set up and helping. Um, so I'm excited about that one as well. I'm, I'm sending these all to my dad. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, a two-step process because it's, it's one thing to know that these resources exist. And then the other step is making sure that you've got the guidance to be able to navigate some of these sometimes heavily bureaucratic and difficult waters to navigate mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's such a wonderful thing that transitions life care does and putting on these summits so that we are connected to people who are authorities on these subjects and mm-hmm. who know how to help explain to those of us who maybe have been thrusted into a caregiving situation mm-hmm. that uh, we were not anticipating uh, and that's that's always been uh, in my opinion, one of the best things about the Caregivers Summit, and I know this this isn't going to be in person, and that was always one of the cool things to see, but even in a virtual environment, I think it's so important to be able to know that there are other people going through what you're yes. going through, and having that interaction that you're going to have on Zoom this year with people asking questions, um, it, it's, it's just an invaluable resource as someone uh, again, who may have been thrusted in a situation like this. And sometimes you just don't know the right questions to ask. No, absolutely not. And that was one of the great things about our in-person conferences was watching other caregivers connect. Mm-hmm. And I think doing that through Zoom this year will definitely allow you that opportunity. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. I'll be hosting them. So you'll see me. Um, <laughs> and I'll be um, also gathering the questions. So chat me away. Please ask as many questions as you have, because I can't wait to see them come in and ask them of our guests and um, see all of you on Zoom and, um, and, and hear from everybody. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for how those will go. Um, and I can't wait to see everybody virtually uh, starting on April 8th for our Caregiver Summit. Also, I want to make sure that we thank our strategic partners, the mm-hmm. Alzheimer's Association of Eastern North Carolina and the Dementia Alliance of North Carolina. They have been a huge help in putting these on yes. year after year, um, as well as many sponsors that are coming in um, to help make this possible and free. Um, mm-hmm. They are helping cover the cost of these um, webinars so that they can remain free for our caregivers, which I think is huge. Yes. Yeah, it's it's incredible what you guys are able to do. Uh, and it's, it's uh, you know, in thanks large part to all these donors who 
help out and pitch in because, again, it's an invaluable resource for those who are looking for this information. It's hard to find all this stuff uh, when, when you're put in a situation like that, but to have everything in one place and to have access to these experts, it's it's truly a great thing. And as Mary said, this starts on April 8th. So go ahead and register now. Go on over to caregiversummit.org caregiversummit.org. We also have a link on the WPTF website. If that's an easier way to get there for you, just go to WPTF.com, click on podcasts, and then Aging Matters, and uh, we've got links to the Caregiver Summit there. You can also listen to this episode as well as all the other past episodes of Aging Matters. If you want to find a, a subject that you're interested in, they're all listed there, and you can go back and listen to the words and wisdom of, uh, of Mary and Sam. <laughs> and they, puns. Yes, and puns. You know, we always sneak in a pun there as well into each episode. Well, at least we try to. We're, we're pretty good at that. Well, again, Caregiver Summit. Dot org is the website, and if you want to find more about Transitions Life Care, transitionslifecare.org. We are out of time for today. we got to get out of here. On behalf of Sam Peterson and Mary Lucas, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.